When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies, like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Go behind the wheel and under the hood on everything automotive with high-speed stuff from howstuffworks.com. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Ben Bolin. I'm a video writer here at howstuffworkswaitforit.com. <laughs> and I'm Scott Benjamin. I'm the auto editor here at HowStuffWorks.com also. Yes. What's happening? Oh, man. What's happening with you, man? Mm, I don't know. Thinking about uh, roads. Yeah? Yeah, I'm thinking about roads today because uh, we've got a uh, kind of an interesting topic. It doesn't sound too interesting on the uh, on the front end here. It's something that a lot of people find annoying, really, is road construction. Oh, yeah. But cause... we're kind of taking a different angle. Yeah, we're going to, we you know, you guys have been listening to us for a while. We're not going to do you like that with some boring you know, it was it was something boring. We're we're going to at least give you some interesting stuff, so that you uh, will be able to amaze uh, almost all of your friends, unless they actually work on road construction. In which case, they probably already know most yeah, they, of what we're going to say. They probably know what we're going to talk about then. But Scott, did they know that historians trace the first use of asphalt to 625 BC? I don't know, Ben. I don't know if they know that. Either. <laughs> no, we haven't met these no, How far back, really? I didn't yeah, hear you. Yeah, 625 BC. 625 BC. Mm-hmm. Asphalt, and that's Whoa. that's not even you know the first road because it's really interesting. I was thinking about this before. I, I was thinking about this on the way to work today. Um, we'll do a road rage podcast later in the future, maybe. But sure. uh, but what I was thinking about is if you really think it out, roads are one of the only non-human inventions that are still around and very prominent in the world because the first roads that, that we see people using a lot were already paths established by animals. Oh, sure. There were herds of animals that were traveling, and they would uh, track down uh, brush and things like that. Mm-hmm. You still see them. You see deer paths and things like that in the woods. Right, right. Um, and that usually between food sources and water, yeah. and uh, water and food sources de- uh, determined a lot of where human civilization mm-hmm. really started to, I don't know, get big, blow up, sure. wh- whatever you want to. Yeah. I, I don't want to sound too uh, you know, dismissive or whatever, but it's amazing that they have lasted this long, and they've gone through a lot of stuff. But I got to tell you, man, I am aggravated with the roads in Atlanta. Why is that? 
You know what we're going to talk about for a second, at least, for a second, <laughs> the, Scott. The orange barrels. The orange barrels, the potholes. Worst of all, potholes. Wait, what? Pot, you're in Atlanta talking about potholes? And those metal plates, Scott. Oh, the metal those plates. Those metal oh, plates. Yeah. Okay. I swear, we have someone who goes around and just throws metal plates on the ground. I agree with you on the metal plates. And if no one out there knows what we're talking about, then these metal plates. Lucky. You're lucky. Holy cow, these things are bad. They put them over. Enormous holes in the road where they're digging for construction projects. Uh, and there may be, there may be 50 of these things in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes there's just one. And when you hit it, oh my gosh, you know you've hit it because it's, uh, it's probably about an inch thick. It feels like it's an it's inch about thick. An inch. And, uh, oftentimes they don't even put any asphalt up to it so it doesn't, you don't ramp up to it. You just hit it, you know, the blunt right. edge. And, uh, it's bone jarring. I'll mm-hmm. tell you that. And a lot of times there's big brackets or bolts on the top of it. Um, what were you mentioning the other day? Sometimes they, they shift? Oh, yeah, when an especially heavy vehicle comes uh, comes by there. I'm not sure. I've never actually seen it happen, but I've seen the traces because sometimes these metal plates will have shifted away from the hole. So it's completely possible, depending on how you hit this area, uh, it's completely possible for you to seriously damage your car. So you could hit the edge of it. It could slip into the hole and flip up and hit the front of your car. Uh Wow. God, I hope not. If that, you hit it slow enough, I think yeah, it could. Yeah, that's it? a possibility. Yeah, yeah, I bet it could. Oh, I guess man. it could also swallow up bikers and uh, walkers. Yeah, slow walkers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. If you're in Atlanta walking, probably don't these, relax by the. But honestly, the, the pothole thing. I don't know, Ben. I don't. I, I see very few. I, I'll tell you, there's a guy on uh, local local television station that, that goes around and hunts down individual potholes in the city and gets them fixed. So that that tells you how few there are. God bless that man. (laughs) They really annoy you, but you know what? Honestly, travel to a northern environment, like you go to Minnesota or Michigan or Mm -hmm. or Wisconsin or any of those places, you're going to find mile after mile after mile of roads that you you just can't can't imagine how jarring it is to ride down these roads. They're they're nothing but potholes. How does this happen? Uh, It's the freezing and thawing, Uh, just year after year. The freezing and thawing, it just heaves the pavement upwards. Um, Water gets inside. it, It... lifts it up and then of course these stones chipped away with you know either um just well just because it's raised up it's it's you know being hit by vehicles it's being um uh, scraped with snow plows uh there's a lot a lot of activity that happens you know it's not designed the road surface is not designed to be like that. it's supposed to be laying together flat and when it gets pushed upwards mm-hmm. uh it's able to be just chipped away and peeled away at little pieces at a time and then they try to patch it and the patch then, you know, the next season or even earlier, that comes loose uh, because mm. the materials don't match or they just don't uh, they don't adhere quite well enough. Um, there's a lot of reasons why potholes form and reform. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a completely scientific, you know, version of all of this, but right. I'm just giving the, the, you know, the quick and dirty version that, you know. Please. Yeah, flea, I, freeze I and thaw. Freeze and thaw. That's, yeah. what, that's what happens. No matter, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, what... We're also talking about, and one of the, the weaknesses of this design, which, again, this has been in the making for thousands of years. So we've really, we've really done pretty well as a species evolving these. Um, I think most paved roads now are made out of either asphalt or concrete. Mm-hmm. And uh, the asphalt sort of uses – sort of. The asphalt definitely uses uh, bitumen. Bitumen? Yeah, sure. I'll go with that. All right. Somebody right now is so angry at us. Yeah, I know. Okay. Um, But it uses this substance to glue together sand and crushed rock. And then it's heated about 300 degrees. And then that's what you see uh, workers spreading and and, uh, mashing down onto the road 
when you are in those delays and driving around those notorious orange cones. Mm-hmm. Or they could be using concrete, and that's just using cement and water as the glue between the sand and the crushed rock. This mm-hmm. goes back always to sand and crushed rock. And then they put them into uh, some steel forms or, you know, molds, basically. Mm-hmm. And so... And then smooth it out and mm-hmm. either groove it or do what they have to. Get, you yep. know, put in... Uh, Areas for stress fracturing to happen, things like that. Exactly, because they have to allow these slabs of concrete to expand and contract with the change in temperature. Mm-hmm. So that's that's most of what we're driving on now, unless, of course, you're driving on an unpaved road. Yeah, yeah, you could be driving on one of the old uh, McAdam roads. The old McAdam roads? Yeah, the old McAdam roads. Why don't you school me on that one? <laughs> McAdam. Let me see if I can dig through my notes here. I wasn't uh, planning to get to this quite yet, but um, McAdam, he's the guy who, uh, he's a Scotsman, and he's the one who's kind of, I guess, the developer of this modern way of making roads, really. But they weren't they weren't paved. They weren't, um, and in a sense, they were paved. I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But okay. They were, they're, not, they're not concrete. They're not really asphalt. They're, they're really just materials bound together by themselves that uh, that made this thing so strong. What happened was, um, this is around early 1800s, like 1820s maybe. Okay. Um, he developed this way. He's a, he was the, um, I forget his title, but he was like, you know, and had a, a charge of the roads, the roadway mm-hmm. system. And um, he figured out these ways to, to create um, a stronger material that wouldn't be eroded away or that wouldn't catch uh, wagon wheels, that wouldn't, uh, it, was a, it was a smooth surface that, that could be um, I guess easily, easily laid out into a, a surface that you know a lot of a lot of vehicles could travel on, and, and it wouldn't um, cause a lot of ruts. It wouldn't be um, wouldn't have uh, the problems as, like cobblestones. Wasn't quite as dangerous. Yeah, exactly. Wouldn't have the problems of cobblestones, but um, it also wouldn't wash away like you know just a dirt road would. So basically, what McAdams' uh, idea was is that he had this he had this road building theory, and the theory was that uh, the stones the stones all had to be certain sizes at certain levels. And within millimeters of each other, and he had workmen that would carry around scales, and they would measure the stones. And uh, these are the foremen. And he said, you know, at this level, they need to be this size and, and this this thickness. And then they need to sit for this long. And you need to tamp them at this rate. And you need to use a hammer to break them this way. But his idea was that workmen could could build these roads basically sitting down with a pile of rocks and using hammers to chip away at the rocks individually to wow. make to make the roads. Now they're not fitting them together necessarily like a like a stonemason would. Okay. They're just chipping them down to a certain size and then laying them on the road, you know, shovelful by shovelful, each one. But he was very, very careful about how he laid down his roads, you know, how, how everything had to be exactly right, otherwise it wouldn't really work. And it, and it relied on everything settling and fitting together. You know, they just kind of naturally fit together. And uh, that was the whole theory behind this, this roadway system. And he said that there's a proper method for breaking them apart. And the proper method was using uh, certain weight hammers, and he'd have to sit down with these small, the, the person would have to sit down with these small hammers, and chip away the rocks, and uh, make sure that none of them were larger in, in, a, in weight than six ounces at wow. a certain point. And, and he said that, <laughs> you know, the supervisors could come around and check the weight of the stones if, if they had these scales, which most of them did. But they said that the workmen, his idea was that the workmen could check the size of the stones themselves. Uh, by placing the stones in their mouth, if they could fit it in their mouth, uh, it was it was just the right size. If they couldn't fit it in their mouth, it was too large. They couldn't use that stone, so they had to chip time, a little Scott. bit more. I know. I mean, can you imagine going to work and them telling you to put a stone in your mouth to check the size? I think the idea was that you know it was just 
imagine if you could put the stone in your mouth. It's like about the size of an egg or something it's like that. It's not physically doing it. Yeah, exactly. If, yeah, exactly. If you if you couldn't put this in your mouth and it's too large, keep chipping away with that hammer. Well, that's more of a handy reference, though. Yeah, exactly. That's what I think it was, really. But it's a funny way to say it, though, that if you, know, if you can't fit that stone in your mouth, don't put it down. I don't think they say that at the uh, construction <laughs> sites today. No, I don't think so. I've never had a job like that, I can say. But anyways, it, his idea was that... Um, if you spread them all out, you know, very carefully in the right the right levels, that the the just the natural, um, I guess, movement of the road traffic would settle the road onto itself. And this took months. I mean, this would this the, and the workers would have to go back time after time and uh, and apply, you know, different different layers of material in order oh, to make I this see. work. So as it got washed away, they would have to add another level of material, sure. let let it settle again, let the road traffic take care of it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, there's one problem with this, and that's when uh, when automobiles started to come around. Ah. And uh, this is after his death, because I'm not sure when he died exactly, but it was uh, prior to automobiles. Okay. And, um, well, maybe not steam automobiles, but, you know, the uh, <laughs> combustion automobiles. Right. So um, he's, he's more dealing with, uh, with horse and wagons and things like mm-hmm. that, right, and foot traffic, et cetera. Um, so the problem with these McAdam roads, as they're still known, even they still call them McAdam roads because there's some around. I mean, the the country roads, a lot of them are built using these principles. Um, but there's a there's an area of low pressure that's created when a car, a fast moving car, passes over a road, and that that low pressure area allows the dirt and all the stuff that's accumulated oh, between the stones I to see. be lifted out. Whereas you know a low speed wagon. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't happen, you know. They were far too high up. It just wasn't, you know, the force involved with the, with an automobile. Um, so a lot of these roads were um, falling apart, really. You know, the material between them was coming out. So an auto going like forty five miles per hour, for instance, mm-hmm. would actually be sucking apart. Yeah, it would be, pieces of this road. Exactly, the road would be crumbling only because it would not not the weight and not necessarily the motion, but it was the it was the negative air pressure underneath that was lifting the material out and, and it would leave these huge clouds of smoke behind the car, even though they're on a paved road well, a semi paved road. I don't sure. know what I, I think you could call this a paved a, a road. Settled road? You could know. call it a paved road because it does have uh it I, I think mm, you know, I think you could because it's not like there is a specific substance that's rolled out mm-hmm. under it to make it a smooth substance, yeah. but th- there's definitely uh, engineering that goes into it. Sure, there's a method there. Yeah, there's a method. Yeah, to a very restrict pavement. method, as a matter of fact. I mean, when yeah. you listen to what this guy had in mind. I'm so um, glad but- I'm not eating rocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. He sounds like quite a tough uh, foreman there. Right. But um, the way they fixed this was they, they eventually decided to coat the surface with tar. And so when they, they coated the surface with tar, it sealed in the materials and allowed the, uh, the vehicles to use that, uh, that the roadway the same the way that they normally had been. I'm, I'm assuming it's, it was pretty messy. Yeah. Um, had to have been a bit sticky mess. But um, really what that ended up becoming known as was blacktop or um, tarmac. Mm-hmm. Um, tarmac is just a short way to say tar, McAdam Road, tarmac. Ah. So it makes sense, huh? There you go. Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. So that's uh, John McAdam and his uh, contribution to their roadway systems. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. 
But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I've got a little bit about modern roads. Great. You want to hear? Yeah, I do. Okay, I've got so. A little bit too. But. Yeah? Yeah. I'm just going to walk through uh, from a website about building roads from uh, your home away from home, Michigan. Oh, okay. So, we're not going to talk too much about the first part, which uh, is this by the Michigan Department of Transportation. Uh, they talk about, you know, how to locate the, uh, how to locate where a road should be paved or, or where a road should be laid. Oh, sure. The initial surveying of the, right. the land. Right. And then how to design it to best mm-hmm. fit that terrain. So mm-hmm. what's the soil like? What's the drainage like? As we alluded to earlier with potholes, it's very important. How much traffic, how many cars versus trucks versus buses, how much future development could happen in the area, and then how will this affect the people in the in the climate, or excuse me, the people in the ecosystem already there. Wow. So let's say they decide we're going to build this in a way. They start with earthwork. Um, because that is, according to them, one of the actually the most important part in establishing a foundation. Because if it doesn't, have, if the road doesn't have a good foundation, it's going to fail. Mm-hmm. So they build embankments using cuts and fills. They level screen dirt, um, and they do that because leveling bumps and filling in dips makes the surface that'll actually support the road instead of getting those mysterious kind yeah. of asphalt dunes. Yeah, you, see. you know, we see a lot of 
cuts and fills here in uh, in this part of the world. Yeah. Uh, especially when you head a little bit north of here, when you mm-hmm. get into the mountains, you see Absolutely. cuts into the mountains that are dramatic. Right, where you can cuts. see those little dynamite yeah, rods the, uh, on the like, side. Yeah, the rods like where they bored down for that. Yeah. That's amazing. And then... Uh, after after they do that, they they spray the dirt with water and compact it as much as possible. And then this is interesting. They install drains and sewers first, hmm. and the center of the road is always going to be higher than the edge of the road, so the water will run off. Okay, the road crown, I think, is what they call that, right? Right, because when we're talking about asphalt and concrete, we're talking about again non-porous, mm-hmm. um, as, you know, as you said. And then uh, then they have this. Then they have a stage of inspections. Uh, then they put gravel and 12-inch layers on the road. They moisten, compact each layer. Uh, the layers are added and compacted until the roadbed reaches the height they originally saw in the design. This is when they start paving it. Um, and when they pave it, they have to, you know, of course, being a government outfit, they have to figure out uh, the cost in advance and, you know, justify the price there. And then after they do the paving, they have to have testers. They have to have quality testers to ride it. Testers, yeah, that's hey, like testers a, that ride like the a road. Job, yeah, really, yeah. What are we doing here, man? I, I don't know. Well, these you get, go- you're paid to drive on the road just to see how it feels. Well, you have to do some other stuff. You have to use uh, seismology equipment to measure vibrations of the oh, pavement too. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to use seismology equipment. I know, and you have this crazy hate of it too. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> but uh, but you know, so after after that quality testing, then the final steps are another drainage test. Grading, landscaping, grinding pavement to make sure it's smooth, and uh, applying the per- permanent markings, the yellow lines, the white lines, that kind of stuff. Okay, cool. There's a lot of work that goes in there, man. Cool. You know what? I got a couple of facts here from uh, the same site that you went to, probably. Blow my mind. MDOT from uh, Michigan, Michigan.gov, actually. Yes, sir. Um, about the state of Michigan. They've got a lot of uh, transportation firsts, as you had mentioned. They're the Motor City, so they've you know been with this right from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um I got a couple of them here. I don't know. Maybe you just mentioned the yellow line, which uh, this is one of the facts. But the one I really wanted to get to, I'll, I'll leave for the end. Okay. Um, I've only got a couple. All right. I'll keep it at that. Uh, so these are na- national firsts in Michigan. Okay. Um, the nation's first painted center line was in Michigan in 1911. They uh, they painted a road, uh, river road near Trenton by the Wayne County Road Commission. So the the first painted center line was mm-hmm. in Michigan. Now you don't think about stuff like this, but someone had to be first, and they had that. And there's also the same interse- uh, There's an intersection uh, where they had the first. Um, uh, they had the first red, yellow, green light. The electric, the first yellow, red, yellow, green electric traffic light. Before were they just the uh, the little signs that came out? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Where they had the guy up in the crow's nest type thing mm-hmm. directing traffic. Um, this the nation's first. The four way. The first four way was um, at the corner of Woodward and Michigan Avenue in Detroit. And it was an invention of a Detroit police officer, William Potts, and that was in 1918. Wow. So that's early, early on in the, mm-hmm. uh, in the automobile. He was probably tired of accidents. You know what? I'm not going to read all these. I just want to do another one. Just one, The one that I really wanted to get to here. Yeah. The nation's first mile of concrete highway that was built uh, was built by the Wayne County Road Commission, uh, Woodward Avenue between um, six and seven mile roads in Detroit in 1909. 1909? 1909. The, the nation's first mile of concrete highway was built in Wayne Wayne County. 101 years ago. Yes, yeah, 100. And that's on Woodward Avenue. That's where they have that huge Woodward Avenue dream cruise every and, year. And that's also the four-way stop. Well, um, maybe uh, down no, the street. Down no, that's yeah, uh, another road. Oh, okay. another road. But, oh. Um, anyways, that's, uh, I thought that was interesting. The first mm-hmm. mile of concrete highway was, was there. 
If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. So I guess I, it, well, well, no, I got one more quick thing if oh, you want. Yes, I do. I found I, out, I, just one more quick thing. I think you were trying to wrap up there, right? I was working yeah. on out segue because <laughs> I thought you were giving. Me no, I've only got okay. one more little tidbit of information here that I find interest, interesting because I've always wondered about the term turnpike. Turnpike, yeah. Yes. You ever wonder about turnpike? I have also wondered. I, I found this out and I was looking around and I think this may have come from um, Curbstone, but I'm not sure. Um, Check, the, check into this, but the word turnpike, really, it, it comes from early, early American history, way back. Um, and the reason is that, you know, the roads we're talking about, a lot of times the federal and state governments would say, you know what, let's give this to a private uh, company to build this road. The private company would build the road and then they'd say, we're going to erect a, um, a, a toll plaza and you're going to pay a toll to use our road and 
that's how we're going to pay for this construction project. And when it's done, we'll tear down the toll plaza, and the road is, is yours. Okay. Um, okay. So that's how they, they gain their money back. They were able to, to build these toll roads. Um, and it turns out toll roads were really common in early America. Um, because a lot of the projects were funded this way, you know, because the states just didn't have the money to do it. The federal sure. government they yeah. had other interests at the time, you know, whatever it might be. Um, so a lot of them were these individually run toll roads. And uh, so the term turnpike comes from this, and in that the, a pike is a, pike means a large log, apparently. So a pike is a large <laughs> log, and the large log that, that crosses the toll road at the, at, the, at the toll house, because they had these toll houses built. Yeah. Um, it would either be um, mounted on one end where they would have to lift it to get it out of the way for you to travel through after you paid your toll, right. or this is where it comes from, if it was mounted in the center of the of the pike. So if it was mounted in the center of the pike, now imagine a large uh, yeah. large log mm-hmm. mounted in the center. If you'd pay your toll, they would turn the pike to allow you to travel in and out. It's like a big turnstile almost for a car. Weird. So that, you know someone would manually push one end of it and open it up, allow you to drive through, and then they would you know, kind of crank it back shut. So they would turn the pike and allow you to go. There you go, man. That's Interesting, crazy. Huh? Why do we still call them turnpikes? Well, then? I don't know. It's just one of those things that's, uh, that's maintained, you know, I guess. Maybe, maybe there's one somewhere, I'd like to think. I would like to think that there is, it, but it is one. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I guess the best way for us to end is to say that the future of uh, roads and pavement may be upon us already, Scott, because... You know, this is still a continual evolution. I think we've shown that things are by no means perfect at this point. And there's a really uh, interesting, fascinating article that we have on our site um, about green pavement, which we're just going to let you guys go to the handy-dandy search bar and figure that one out. Green Uh, pavement. Green pavement, yes, sir. And uh, while you're there... listeners out there in internet land feel free to uh swing on by and check out all the other articles we have up there as well as your blog scott yeah i've got the high speed stuff blog that you can check out i try to post it there occasionally not every day but i try to as much as i can keep up with it and i podcast or i serve i rather i blog about um what we talk about on the podcast and there's links to that and links to the articles that we talk about and uh, it's you know, a good place to get a little bit of in- additional information. And we try really hard to cover things that we think you would find uh, interest- interesting and, again, uh, fascinating. But if for some crazy reason we miss something that you really want to hear about, guys. <laughs> That's likely. Yeah. Just send us an email. At highspeedstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new High Speed Stuff blog now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fairs. Discover more at Viking.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.
With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Dot com slash compatibility.